0: Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Radical Audacity Podcast. This is Tiffany Kane, your host, and today I am here to talk to you about some of the lessons that I learned about the power of our voice while I was on vacation with my family in Belgium and Germany. Yes, we took a family vacation for two weeks. We traveled by rail as a family through Germany, Belgium, a little bit of Amsterdam. It was incredible. Uh, We walked a minimum of five miles a day, sometimes 10 miles a day. And I have to tell you, traveling by rail, you get to see things that you wouldn't see if you were in a car or traveling by plane. So it was absolutely wonderful. Super quick recap of our trip. It was my son's graduation trip. And here's the thing. My son is a very tall, six foot two, very handsome, highly intelligent, very gifted young man. He is going to be going to school for aerospace engineering. He's at a specialized school that specializes just in that And they have contracts with NASA and JPL and all of that for internships. Like, this boy is set. He's brilliant. And I was adamant that before he starts college, he gets out of the country. We haven't been able to get out of the country yet. We've done lots of traveling as a family within the United States, but nothing out of the United States. And You know, we live in South Orange County, Orange County, California we're in a bubble. We're in a very beautiful, protected, lovely bubble. And he's grown up here. And yes, like I said, we've traveled throughout the United States, but he really hasn't experienced a lot of the world. And so it was super, super important to me that he experiences a little piece of the world before he heads off to college. And then my 12 year old got, you know, the bonus of getting to travel young, right? Like he got to go explore young. So I let my son, my oldest that's graduating, pick where we're gonna travel. Now he loves cars. So a good amount of our travel was around racetracks and seeing car, and car museums, but he also loves World War II history. And so Germany was just a no-brainer for him. It was just something he's really, really wanted to do. And I have to tell you, I wasn't super excited about going to Germany, but it ended up being the most amazing trip. And I do believe that he learned the lessons I was hoping he would learn and more. It was just so valuable. I just think it's so important for us here in the United States to realize that the world doesn't revolve around the United States, right? We're, we're we're a pretty young country. We're a powerful country. But we're pretty young on the world stage. I mean, some of the places, the rooms that we stayed in in Germany and Europe were older than our country, right? <laughs> there was a tower outside our hotel in Belgium from the 15th century, right? Like, it was there. It was right outside. Like, our hotel was built around that tower, So it's so important to realize the history of the world and that there's so much more story and so much more that goes on beyond just our little bubble or our country. So here are some lessons that I learned while we were traveling. One of the big lessons came from Berlin. We ended our trip in Berlin. And I am going to talk about this first because, oh, it's powerful. It is a powerful, powerful, powerful lesson. Berlin is a city that has seen atrocity after atrocity. And these atrocities were able to happen because fear kept people quiet. I'm gonna say that again. Fear kept people quiet and allowed atrocities to happen. Yes, it did. So that's lesson number one. When we are quiet about the things that are important, bad things happen. What are some of the bad things? I mean, you guys know. We'll start with World War II with Hitler, right? Like. Berlin was the epicenter of that. Berlin and Nuremberg. We stayed in Nuremberg as well. And it's when you walk through Berlin and Nuremberg, there are a couple of things that stand out. One of the things that stands out is there's memorials everywhere. They do not hide their history. They don't hide their history. So there's memorials everywhere to the people that fell. In the war to the, the murdered Jewish people and the murdered gypsies and um, people just anybody who was killed during World War II by you know, targeted for genocide by Hitler. There are memorials too. One of the memorials is as you walk around the city, there are these brass cobblestones outside of certain buildings, and these brass cobblestones have a name. And some dates and a description. The name is a person that was murdered by the Nazis. The dates show their date they were born and the date they were killed. And the description shows how they were killed. And so as you're walking around the city, you'll see these little brass cobblestones all over. In Berlin alone, there are 16,000 of them. And and throughout Germany, there are millions of them. And it's, it's incredible. It's incredible that they're not forgotten. Their names, the date of their death, as much as they can know about the date of their death and how they die, as much as they can know about how they died is there. That's powerful. Right? Like they're not forgetting the power of their silence and the harm it brought the citizens of their great city. Another big thing that happened in Berlin was the Berlin Wall. So after the war, Germany as a whole was split up between the Allies, it was split up between the United States, France, Russia and was it United States, France, Russia. I think there's one other. I'm forgetting it right now. Anyway, so it was the Allies. Britain, Great Britain. How can I forget Great Britain? Okay, so United States, Russia, uh, England, and um, France split up Germany as a whole. Like there were zones where these different Allies had military bases and controlled. The area. But Berlin was in the heart of the Russian controlled sector. And Berlin is the heart of Germany. And so the Allies decided well, let's separate Berlin as well between the Allies. And so then there was an American occupied part of Berlin, a French, Britain, British part, and then the Russian part. And Russia had the largest piece of Berlin. An interesting thing that was happening on the Russian side because Russia was communist at this time, right? So people were leaving the Russian side in droves to come over to the allied side. Now, through Germany there was a fence that separated the um the three allies, England, United States, and France, and then Russia. Right? Russia did not want people going over to the other side, the non-communist side. And so the people that were in the Russian side of Berlin said, well, we can go over to the non-communist side of Berlin and get our freedom there. And Russia hated that. And literally overnight, Russia erected the Berlin Wall. Now, the Berlin Wall completely surrounded the non-communist part Of Russia and separated it, or of Germany and separated that part of Berlin from the rest of the Russian controlled Germany and from the Russian controlled side of Berlin. So that was something new I learned. I thought the wall went around the communist side, but no, no, no. It encapsulated the non communist part of Berlin. It happened overnight. Literally, the citizens woke up in the morning and that wall was there. So If somebody had gone over to the communist side to visit their family, but they lived in the non-communist side, then they weren't able to get home. If somebody on the communist side worked in the non-communist side, they were no longer able to get to work. So families were separated, people lost their jobs, and it was incredible, the devastation that that caused, and the lives that were lost. It was 28 years of occupation of this wall being up, 28 years of people being separated from their family and not being able to visit their family. Think of a neighboring city that you have. Maybe you have family in the next city over and it takes you 10 minutes to get there. Imagine if you went to go visit your family and suddenly there's a wall there started as barbed wire and then it ended up being a real physical wall and it was terrible and then the russians started starving out the non-communist side wouldn't allow food and water and things of that sort in and so the allies ended up doing airdrops of necessities to the non-communist side it was Amazing. And this was really important to me because when I was in high school, I believe I was a sophomore or a junior when the Berlin Wall came down. It was so important to us and such a monumental event that it had a full, like, double spread in our yearbook. <laughs> we dedicated valuable yearbook space to the Berlin Wall coming down. And I think because I grew up in the Cold War era, right? Like everything was Cold War, Cold War, so much fear of communism, that when that wall came down, it it was it was momentous. And that was allowed to happen because people stayed quiet about the things that mattered and they they allowed it to happen, right? It, it, it's kind of crazy like the loudest people win the people with the you know biggest guns and and the loudest voices they win and they control everybody else and this is why our voices are so important and coming together as a community to collectively raise our voices about the topics that matter to collectively raise our voices against intolerance and evil and harm and violence and any of those things. It's so very important to raise our voice against that. Along this same line of silence allowing horrible things to happen, Part of our tour of Berlin took us to Humboldt University. And there is this incredible square surrounded by these beautiful university buildings, old university buildings, which have all been rebuilt because, side note, um, much of Germany was absolutely destroyed in the bombing. So Berlin and Nuremberg were almost completely flattened. So they've rebuilt and they've done a really, 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 really – um co- they've been very cognizant and particular about rebuilding in an authentic way and trying to um reconstruct the buildings as they were before the churches and the university buildings those important buildings um landmarks they really worked hard to reconstruct them a lot of times they used the um the actual blocks you know building materials that were there before. And so you can see the bullet holes and you know marks from the from um tanks rolling over them and and things of that sort. It was powerful. So what am I getting at? <laughs> so in this university center, it's a big square and it's it's a huge like empty square with these four big university buildings surrounding them. And in the middle of the square is this glass in the ground and when you look in the glass in the ground there are there's a an empty room with full of shelves and all the shelves are empty and it's painted white it's very moving and that is there because this was the place where that first book burning happened where 20 books were burned. And do you know who the books were burned by? Students. The students of that university ransacked their own university library and brought their own books out to be burned. And why did they do that? Well, Hitler had been in power for five months. And in that five months, his propaganda and his rhetoric was so strong that he convinced these university students, these alive, vibrant, young people, he convinced them to burn their own books. Yeah. Yeah. I know, like, I sit there, it brings me to tears even thinking about that massive bonfire full of all this knowledge and learning and all that was lost, all that was lost. And it was by the students. And My friends, that is the power of our voice. So this is lesson number two. When they try to silence you, when they, and I'm using they pejoratively, like the big capital T-H-E-Y, when they work so hard to silence you, then you know what you have to say is important. You know what you have to say is powerful. What books did they burn? They burned books by Jewish, Jewish authors. They burned books by non communist. (laughs) They burn books. Um, uh, Like I said, Jewish poets, if you happen to be a homosexual author, a known homosexual author, a ton of American authors were burned. Just basically anybody that didn't walk the communist line, those books were burned. And so that's lesson number two I'm going to leave you with today. I'll probably do another episode with a couple more lessons, but they – capital T-H-E-Y, will go to great lengths to silence your voice. And it's because your voice is powerful. What you have to say is powerful. And as much damage as that regime did, they didn't silence those voices forever. There's a memorial there, plaques in the ground and a ghost library in the ground saying... This terrible thing happened, and we're not going to let it happen again. So I ask you, what powerful thing do you have to say, and who's trying to silence you? And also, how are you going to raise your volume about the topics that matter, about intolerance and violence and being able to change things for the better? If you enjoyed this podcast episode, let me know. Reach out to me. I'm easiest to find by just DMing me. Send me a little private message on Instagram. Super easy. I'm Tiffany Kane, T-I-P-H-A-N-Y-K-A-N-E on Instagram. If this podcast means something to you, would you please share it with a friend? When you share, you help this message get out to more people, and that means a lot to So my friends, raise the volume of your voice, I'm listening.